Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. But first, we welcome a prominent literary manager and producer who got to start working for Jerry Bruckheimer and then spent time in representation at ICM and Broder Curlin Webb Uffner before co-founding Heroes and Villains Entertainment in 2007. We welcome Mr. Marcus Gorg. Thank you for coming on the show, Marcus. Thanks for having me. Um, now, people may or may not know, but in, in addition to being um, a top-flight lit manager and producer, you're also a talented photographer. You even attended Cal Arts and got your degree in photography. So I guess my question is, with your um, big, tense background, intense background from photography, what drew you to representation? Well, it was a little bit of a roundabout way. Um, I actually went to Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, where I got my degree in oh, 2000. Okay. But it was um, it was my exposure to uh, people in the film department that actually alerted me to the presence of a whole industry. I mean, obviously, I always knew that there was an in- industry, but being from Germany, right. um, I had absolutely no connections. I didn't know any- how anything worked. And um, <clears throat> photography was sort of my way of creatively expressing myself. And once at Art Center in Pasadena, I was exposed to a bunch of people in the film in the film department because they would share classes with photographers from time to time, and I would make friends and ended up working on some of those student productions, which really seemed to be a lot of fun and um, piqued my interest in the industry as a whole. And so I sort of, about halfway through, shifted my focus more on film uh, mm-hmm. rather than photography and ended up having a degree in in photography and cinematography, Mm -hmm. which is how I tried to break in at at first into the business. Right. In sort of a production way. Uh, Yeah. And then that, um, that led me to essentially right after graduating college, I wrote about 220 blind resumes to uh, companies that I found in the Hollywood creative directory that Mm -hmm. had made a movie in the last five years that I'd liked. So again, again, absolutely no connections at all in the film industry, no idea how anything worked. I I ended up getting an interview at Broder. Mm -hmm. Um, And the only reason why I even knew what an agency was, was because I had uh, a teacher in seventh term who taught a small business management class, who also happened to be an agent at at CAA at the time, Mm -hmm. uh, who clued me into what an agency is and what an agency does. And that I, if I wanted to work in the business, probably should go to an agency. So I targeted various agencies, and uh, along with the other 210 resumes or so, right. and um, got myself my first interview at Broder and actually ended up uh, getting hired in the motion picture lit department. Mm-hmm. And that's how sort of I found my first entrance point in. And the only reason that I got the job was not because I was super qualified. It was because I knew how to work a Palm Pilot. And <laughs> I, my then boss had just been given a Palm Pilot by his wife and he didn't know how to work it. And so the fact that I knew how to, how to work that thing got me in the door. So that was quite, quite, quite ironic. But. So uh, that's actually funny to me that, that you pretty much owe your, the start of your career to a now defunct technology, the Palm Pilot. That's great. It's very true. It's very true. It, it didn't, it didn't end up coming into play all, all that much in our everyday sure in our everyday operations, but uh, that's what that's what impressed him. <laughs> that's what impressed him the most. It, it wasn't manning, it wasn't manning the reception at Jerry Brookheimer or stock in the drink fridge. It was oh, this guy knows how to work a pom pom. Right. I gotta look good to my wife. So here you go. 
Well, I mean, you know what? I, it seems like Hollywood is uh, is a lot of that. It's you know finding so, you know some random way in and then taking advantage of that opportunity. You know, because you do have yes. to deliver when it comes down to it. But um, well, I, it, it was quite the crash course on how every, everything worked the first six months to a year, obviously. And you know, you just do the best you can, and 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 you work hard, and you keep your eyes and ears open, and you try to meet as many people as as you can, and you know, and and you just pick up things as you as you go along and grow and meet more people and make more make more experiences. Mm-hmm. So I totally agree with that. Yeah. Now you're, um, I guess, in 2007 you created Heroes and Villains. Um, yeah. And what is it about representation that appeals to you? I mean, you've obviously been in it a long time, so you know, there's something about it that you enjoy that, that that drives you that motivates you what what is it about representation um what i find interesting about representation specifically as a, as a representative as a manager is the fact that i get to work creatively with my clients in creating original stories original worlds coming up with the characters and helping them develop that piece of material that i then you know can take and and turn into something that ends up on screen or ends up on television or becomes a book um and that is what i what i find most interesting about about being a representative as a manager specifically mm-hmm. and what clued me into that was actually an experience that i had while being an assistant at icm when um this is a long time ago now <laughs> 2000, 2001 um, I got a I got a query from a a young eager and very promising writer uh, for a script called um, The Last First Kiss, mm-hmm. which uh, ended up being the movie Hitch. And um, I read the query; it was one of the best queries that I'd ever seen. And I called him up and I said, "Hey, sit, send me the script." So, so I'm sitting there at my desk reading the script, and my boss walks by and he goes, "What you reading?" And I said, "Well, this is the next script that you're going to sell." And he laughs and he walks off. And then six weeks later, he sold it to Sony. <laughs> so that sort of clued me in that, okay, if I can find this script out of a stack with query letters, then I can probably do that again. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the next natural step for me was really after uh, spending two years at Prospect Pictures working with Marco Sega and Matt Weaver to go into representation and, you know, attempt to replicate what I'd done previously and identify voices and writers and try to help them get their projects made and, 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 and seen and help them in their careers. Right, right. That's awesome. Um, now, speaking of queries, I just wanted to touch base on queries because you obviously get many, many of them. Um, yes. What, what kind of, what are the common things you see in queries that you wish you didn't? I mean, are they too long? Are they, uh, uh, you know, what is it about queries that stands out to you? Um. You know, it's, it's, it's has to be, it has to be an interesting log line and crafting a log line is sort of like an art in, in itself to get somebody's interest within as few words as possible. Um, so that's in my, in my estimation, the biggest thing has got to have a great, great log line that tells me what the movie's about. What is the drama? What's the conflict in this? Uh, and and in its in, in itself tells me gives me a little bit of a glimpse into the ability uh, of the writer as a writer, mm-hmm. so that you know it sounds it's it's not a boring query letter. Um, things that make me not read further in the query letter is mm-hmm. things that are addressed to the wrong person, <laughs> uh, 
are misspelled. I get Marcus with a C a lot. Right. Um, and if you know somebody takes care in finding somebody who would want to read their work, then uh, I would I would assume that they do the research and realize sure. that I'm actually with a K. Right. Um, and uh, typos within the query letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just like for me is like an immediate no-no. Right, uh, right. Commas in the wrong place, and I know these are like sticker things, but if you are up against so many other people who are trying to get their ideas across to you, then it, I just say you know the the bar's high, and you have mm-hmm. to you, you have to you have to make sure that you don't give me any reason to not read to the end of your career letter. And if there's reasons to already go on oh, now, you know, I, life's life's too short. And by the way. When a career comes in, I do I do take a look and I read as far as I can get. <laughs> and then if I don't get to the end, then you know the career didn't do didn't do its job. And right. sometimes I do, and right. oftentimes oftentimes I, I don't. But I, I guess those are those are the odds and those are the numbers that, that people are gonna have to play. It's a it's a numbers game. You're gonna have to hit over and over and over again until until you get through. Right. Right. Um, now, you've done also something that I found very interesting, something that I've seen in the literary world, because we also talk to lit, you know, uh, book agents uh, in the publishing field. Um, mm-hmm. But you take every once in a while, I guess you've done it twice, um, sort of a pit, online pitch fest. You take queries via Twitter. Um, and I wanted to talk to you about that. Where did that idea come from? Again, I've seen it in the publishing world, but never in terms of, of, of Hollywood, in terms of screenwriting. And you know, what sort of response do you get? Well, the idea, as you pointed out, is actually from the publishing world. Um, I've, I've taken uh, the role here of advancing our, our book business. We represent two New York Times bestselling authors, and on the, on, on the, on the success of those two, we, we decided to shepherd a number of our other clients into the publishing and novel writing world, which is really interesting and fascinating. And so I went, went my own research in, into how, how that works and who are, who are the players and, and all that. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a world that is very, very active on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And a lot of authors use Twitter. A lot of lit agents use Twitter. And uh, you just sort of get a glimpse into how these, how these executives operate and how these agents operate and how they take pitches sometimes. And I've stumbled upon this 10 careers thing, and I thought it was a genius idea. And, I, and frankly, I hadn't seen it done in Hollywood, and I didn't really come up with a reason why I wouldn't. <laughs> and so I just decided, hey, I, I can give this a whirl. If, if, if it works for literary agents, it, you know, why wouldn't it work for literary managers? So right, right. Uh, I gave it a shot, and um, the way it really works is I decide at some point, uh, next week at Tuesday, I'm going to be doing, at 11.30 in the morning Pacific, I'm going to be taking 10 queries, and I sit in front of Twitter, and after the first 10 pitches come in, I cut it off, and Mm -hmm. then I go one one by one through the pitches as they come in, and I give people feedback on Twitter, and, and the first two times I found uh, people's scripts that I thought sounded intriguing and interesting, and uh, and uh, we we requested the the material. Uh, sadly, oh, wow. it hasn't worked out so far, but mm-hmm. that does, that doesn't mean that it's that there's not a shot for that in, in the in in the future. It's just a really, I think there's an opportunity to to connect with a creative, with a with a creative world out there of 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 writers who have stories to tell and if and i recognize that it's really difficult a lot of times for them to break in so uh, via, via twitter i just found it's a, it's a very neat tool to allow them to here's you know here's five ten minutes 
that you have my undivided attention and I will go look at your ideas and I will figure out whether or not I'm interested in reading them. And if I am, then I want to check out your stuff. And if not, you had an opportunity to, to, to pitch something and maybe you can pitch me a different idea next time that is more up my alley. And so I, I found it to be a, a, a really, fun, really fun thing to do that might in the future lead to discovering the next talent that has therefore to be Actually, that's a totally wrong word to say. That has there to for be undiscovered. <laughs> right. Um, now, talking about this, this, taking this query, this Twitter query uh, thing a step further. Um, now, I know Heroes and Villains, you guys um, aren't just a management company. You're also a production company. Um, but you're not just a production company in terms of film and TV stuff. You're also actively involved in developing IPs, like launching comic books and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that, but first I just wanted to say in regards to the Twitter queries, do you take Twitter queries, just, you know, screenplay queries or do you, cause I know you're in also in the literary world now in terms of publishing, do you take book, you know, uh, pitches, do you I, take comic book I pitches? Haven't, I, I haven't yet. I haven't yet. The comic book thing is, is something that, that we're really doing that, that is an agenda that, that we're driving on the production side of Heroes and Villains in-house. Mm -hmm. So we haven't really reached out to the community to hear, hear ideas for comic books. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't really thought about taking um, novel pitches. I, I, I don't... I'm not closed off to it. I, I, I think that's definitely a, a possibility for the future. Mm -hmm. um, I've thought about doing a TV, a TV uh, ten, 10 queries at, at some point. And um, so like the last two were just for screenplays, but mm -hmm. that doesn't mean we, can, we can't branch out and open it up to other media as well. Sure, absolutely. I was just kind of curious to see where, where you were headed with that, if you had any thoughts about that. It's an, it's an evolving process. <laughs> and, and as I as I learn more and 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 expand and you know uh, look for new ideas in different media, that's definitely a possibility that I'm considering. Right. Cool. Um, okay. Jumping back to comic books. Um, again, it, you know, here's and villains is sort of unique that you don't just have comic book creators and such as on your roster, but you actually develop comic books in house. You know, with um, actually some friend of ours, Top Cow. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we've had uh, Matt Hawkins on the show a couple of times, uh, and you have a relationship Matt very well. Yeah, I know he's fantastic, and you guys, you know, uh, publish through them. I'm assuming, at least, you know, the publishing aspect of it. Um, yeah. Now, can you explain how comic book properties come together in house? Some a project like Netherworld or something mm -hmm. like that. How does that come together in house, and and what are your plans to do with it after? You know, I actually, obviously, Netherworld has come out, but you know, maybe you can use that as an example of, of you know. Yeah, I'll be happy to tell you about that. So um, the reason the, the the reason why we're um, creating comic books in, in, in the first place is because we as producers want to add value to the creative process. Mm -hmm. um, we're we're not, we're not we, we sort of pride ourselves on not attaching ourselves as producers to to everything that our clients are doing. Mm -hmm. And when we are attached to something as producers, it's because we add value in the process. Either we come up with the idea for the TV script or the feature script or the novel or whatever it may be, mm -hmm. or we bring to the table IP that we either find elsewhere or we create in-house, like you mentioned, in the form of comic books. Mm -hmm. So that was really the impetus of creating our own 
IP that we control. Um, and the way that really works is one of us will walk in the door and said, you guys, I have a, had a great idea for that might be a comic book, that, that might be a movie, that might be a TV show. That there's like a constant flow, ebb and flow of ideas around, uh, around the offices. And um, every once in a while we're like, dude, that would be a great comic book. And we just essentially sit down and hash it out and figure out where the story would go. And we write a little bit of a, of a Bible. And um, then from, from, from there, um, so far with all of our properties, we would get Top Cow in, involved and, and essentially get the sign off and say, hey, do, do you guys like this? Would, would you guys like to publish this for us? And so far they haven't said no to anything. And um, then we go off and we hire the comic book writer and we hire the artists and um, we create a comic book and Top Cow puts them out. And uh, Heroes and Villains gets to retain the rights for the for, for the comic book, and then uh, uses them as essentially IP to create film, film and 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 TV. We 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 tend to partner with bigger brother producers. We have one that we're doing with Atlas Entertainment. Mm-hmm. This is our first comic book called Tracker. Um, that that we're that we've partnered w- with them. Um, we're bringing a writer on board. We're we're uh, developing a feature take right now, and uh, in the next few weeks, hope to pitch it to studios. And we're doing another one with Mark Platt, and we're doing another one with Vertigo. So um, that's sort of our production agenda of creating our own ideas that we then publish in the form of comic books to then you know create our own production slate. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Um, yeah, and that's one of the things that, uh, you know, because again, unlike some uh, screenwriting podcasts out there, this is sort of a writing podcast, and we also interview a lot of uh, people in the publishing world and comic book world. So uh, for me, this was particularly interesting that, that you guys develop comic book properties in-house, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, now, it's super fun, too. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine what those meetings are like. Um, so uh, you... Um, can you tell me maybe what do you think is the most common misconception by aspiring screenwriters about what managers do? Like what do you, what is your day to day and what do you think most people, you know, aspiring writers, I should say, what their misconception is about what you do? Um, I can't really speak to what everybody else out there is, is, is thinking, but right. what, I, what I can do is uh, dispel the myth and sort of lay out the difference between what an agent does and what a manager does. Cool. And we work with agents at almost every agency in town. And uh, we are super happy to have them on board with with our clients and con- consider them a great asset to to the team. Um, but we do see the, the, the division of labor very, very clearly where we as managers, we tend to focus a lot more on the creative process on the development of material on, on, on hashing out which idea would be right for the client to develop next. We keep that pipeline well fed and what we what we essentially do is we develop a piece of material until we in-house here feel it is awesome and is ready for the agent to see and we will send it off to the agent and then the agent will engage as the salesperson. Mm-hmm. They are fantastic at what they do they know the marketplace better than than anybody else, and um, they know how to sell pieces of material. Now, granted, we've sold pieces of material without agents, and mm-hmm. we're well 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 equipped to do so. But when we do have agents on board, um, we 
sort of see it as we provide you guys with great pieces of material that you then can turn around and sell in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that is sort of like the big difference as in we have the longer term target insight where we will find out, we will find out with the client what it is, who, who they want to be, like it, where, where they see themselves in five or 10 or 15 years down, down the road. If they can pick a star on the horizon, what is it and where does it lead? And we will then make strategic decisions along the way, trying to guide them in just the right, the right way to achieve that goal that they set out for, for themselves at the beginning. Right. And agents come in very, very helpful uh, in, 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 helping us sell the material in order to get the client where they want to go. And I think that is sort of like the big difference between what a manager does and what an agent does because agents also tend to have a lot more clients than managers do mm-hmm. by, the sheer, by the sheer fact that managers tend to read a lot more material from their clients. They tend to read a lot more different drafts as we develop draft after draft after draft until we feel it's perfect and ready to go. Um, And we would just much rather present an agent with a polished piece of material that they get really excited about and can turn around and sell rather than ask them to slog through five drafts of whatever um, and then potentially lose interest in the project in the process, which is obviously not helpful. So um, that's sort of how we divide the labor. It's sort of like a divide and conquer sort of situation. Right. No, that's cool. That's a great explanation. Um, now, uh, a lot of aspiring screenwriters think um, before they know enough about the business, I think, oh, I need an agent. I need an agent. When clearly a manager is obviously the first step for a lot of screenwriters, as it should be. Um, mm-hmm. At what point, as a manager, when you sign a new client, do you feel they're ready to be taken out to an agent and try to get them an agent? Is it when they have a script that's ready to go, period? Or is there a different point? Is it just different for every every client? Or, um, you know, what at what point do you think, you, uh, for an average client, you're prepared to take them to the next level and get them an agent and a lawyer, whatever it happens to be? We at Heroes and Villains very much believe in crewing up mm-hmm. because um, as you start your career, there's going to be a lot of disappointment. Right. There's going to be there's going to be a lot of no's, and there's going to be a lot of developing developing material that might not sell. Mm-hmm. So um, we are firm believers in having as many people in, in in your corner as possible. So we will take people to agents as soon as we feel we have to, we have a great piece of material that people should be excited about. Mm-hmm. So it's not, oh, this person doesn't have any credits or this person doesn't have, didn't do this or hasn't done that. That sort of matters not so much. What matters more is do you have a really exciting piece of material mm-hmm. um, and uh, do, we, do we feel like we have we know who would respond to this material. It doesn't really do you much good if you have a great piece of material, but it's a, an utterly unmarketable piece that is going to be very, very difficult to sell, right. then it's going to be twice as hard to get an agent on board. But if you have a marketable, very well-written, well-told story, then um, there's no reason to hold, to hold back to try to get somebody an agent and try to get somebody an attorney because we feel... Um, you know, 25% of zero is still zero. So mm-hmm. especially as you're trying to build your career to have as many people out there as possible talking about you and sending out your material, uh, that, that's 
sort of like what, what where you need to be, and um, we firmly support that sort of notion. So right. we go we go to we go to agents right right away if we have the right piece of material, and if and if we don't have the right piece of piece of material, then we will go back and we will take a step back and say, okay, what are the ideas? What do you got? What can we develop next? And we will develop another piece of material or two, and then take those and then approach agents. There's, there's but it's really it's really comes down to the material and do and do we feel it's marketable enough um, that that an agent would take note. Right. Oh, that's cool. Good to know. Um, now, you're obviously very tech savvy with the whole Palm Pilot experience. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. With, uh, you know, <laughs> taking... Uh, it hasn't stopped there. <laughs> no, exactly. Taking pictures <laughs> and stuff uh, and queries on Twitter, which I think is fantastic. Um, but what I wanted to say, uh, you know, obviously the, the nature of screenwriting has changed. Um, and uh, there are more and more avenues to sort of get read. Uh, and so there's a lot more people outside of Los Angeles, screenwriters, um, who can get you their material. Uh, and the, a lot of managers and agents I've spoken to said they prefer clients, obviously, to be in Los Angeles because it's easier to take meetings and such and such. But at the same time, they're, if a great piece of material is a great piece of material, so they're happy to take on clients outside of Los Angeles. Um, do you have any clients that are not in Los Angeles? And if so, just you know, for a, somebody who's not in Los Angeles, who's looking for a manager, what kind of challenges should they expect? Like how often should they come uh, or be expected to come to Los Angeles to take meetings? Because that obviously is an integral part of, of you know, the business. Um, what other challenges do they face and how do you deal with them? Well, that's sort of a multifaceted answer because it really depends on the main focus of the particular client and what they would like to do. Mm -hmm. The bottom line is if the piece of material is amazing, mm -hmm we don't care so much where the writer lives. Mm -hmm. That said, it is preferred mm -hmm. to be, especially if you want to break through in the business, it is preferred to be local and to be in LA and to be available to go to meetings. Um, I do have some clients that are not, that don't live in LA right now. Um, they fly in and out. You know, that's just, that's just what it is. They have that type of, they have the type of, job that allows them to fly in and out or they make money writing nonstop and that's just what they do and they prefer to live somewhere else and not Los Angeles and that's totally fine. But it it, it it's sort of like if you want to break into if you want to break break into the theater world, then you gotta go move to New York. It's mm -hmm. and, and just just like that, the bulk of the entertainment industry just resides in Los Angeles. So if you wanna take it seriously and if you want to be taken seriously and if you want to break into the business because it is it it will take a while to break in mm -hmm. and the, and you're totally right there's a lot of meetings that people are going to need to go to and after a while you know it it becomes it becomes sort of cumbersome to figure out oh can I take four, four days to to cram in 20 meetings and just the nature of of the beast is that a lot of these meetings are going to get rescheduled mm -hmm. and you just sort of have to be available to go with the flow, and if a meeting gets rescheduled three times, that does not reflect on the interest level of the executive that reschedules the meeting. It's just a fact, a fact of the business. It's just mm -hmm. a fact of how how things work. And um, if that means if that means the meeting is rescheduled for two weeks out and you're not around, then next time you come back in four months from now, whatever, that exec will have totally forgotten who who, who you are, or what they read, and 
So yeah, it is beneficial to mm-hmm. be local and to be in Los Angeles, but it's not absolutely necessary because a great piece of material will open doors no matter where it comes from. Right. It's just everything that comes along with that, that if you have the great piece of material and you do get the interest in town, that doesn't necessarily mean there's a fat paycheck right. attached to that. It just means that there's a lot of interest in town. And if you want to capitalize on that interest, you're going to have to be available. Right. And if you're not, it's a lot more difficult to maintain the heat that you might get from an initial great piece of material. Right, right. That was a great explanation, actually. Um, now, uh, do you pay attention to any like screenplay competitions, you know, or paid uh, tracking boards, the listing services like the blacklist and stuff like that? And if so, you know, how impressive are they in terms of like on query letters and things, you know, semifinalists or nickel or whatever? Um, or like I got an eight on the blacklist. Do you pay attention to those kind of things? If you had asked me that question three weeks ago, I would have answered very differently. Oh, okay. Well, I'd love <laughs> to hear this story then. But now, um, now it, the answer is that yes, I do. Okay. Um, three weeks ago, it really didn't. It's just a. It's just a matter of being so unbelievably busy that. Um, it didn't matter all that much what the accolades were. If I didn't like the log line, then whatever. Right. Um, if it didn't grab my attention, then it didn't. It, then I, I just didn't care what else it said below the long line. Right. But now um, I do pay attention um, because most recently uh, I've started browsing the blacklist and just out of interest on what's what's on there and what gets what gets the reads and what gets the good ratings and you know uh, you start reading something and it, it's literally. I sort of took the test of, okay, I'm going to download the script, and if I find myself reading the whole thing, then it must be good. And then getting the high grades on the on the blacklist uh, clearly has some merit. Mm-hmm. Um, because before that, it's, it's I just – not that I didn't think it was worth any, any, anything. On the contrary, I think the blacklist is a great tool for people to be discovered. Um, I just didn't know how much of it it would matter to me. Right. Um, so after after reading some of those scripts, I I realized it's like okay, well if if somebody gets a lot of high a lot of high marks, then it might be worth a look. Mm-hmm. So um, yes, we do pay attention. We do pay attention to nickel. There's there's a there's a few of the big big competitions that I think matter to the business, and there's many 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 others that don't matter at all right. in my humble in my humble opinion no, so if somebody says i won xyz screen c- competition in albuquerque new mexico that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't get me excited right. uh, but if but if somebody says i was a semifinalist on the nickel last year and this is w- what it is i do pay i do pay attention gotcha. that makes a difference yeah gotcha. um yeah, we actually have a couple reader questions that i'd love to you throw your way and see what your feelings are. Um, sure. Now, one person asked, do managers ever ever represent a script or project and not represent the writer as well? If so, what were the circumstances that would cause that? Like, would you ever represent, like, like someone loves someone's script or, you know, an idea, pitch, a project or whatever, but not want to represent the writer? Does that ever happen? I don't remember... Having done that at Heroes and Villains, I, mm-hmm. I see that more often being done in the agency world. Mm-hmm. It's called hip-pocketing a client. Mm-hmm. Um, when you would represent somebody for one script, and it's sort of like taking a shot. You're not sure 
again, we haven't done this, nor do I really feel like for a manager at this time, um, because we are much more focused on long-term goals and building a client's business mm-hmm. and repertoire. It sort of goes against what at least our philosophy of managing a client is to represent somebody just for one, for like a one-off. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do see it, and I have, I have seen it done in agencies where they will take on a client because they like that one particular script, and that might be because they read two others and they didn't like those. So just because they didn't like the other scripts didn't mean I didn't like that one. So might take, might as well take a shot and see if you get lucky. Um, right. That does happen, and that is that is pretty much the reason why it does. Is you're, you're not sure if this writer has the chops to to replicate and do the same thing again and again and again because it is a it's not a it's not a sprint it's a marathon and you're going to have to create a lot of material on the way to the gold line and if you you know if 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 you sort of struck gold on this one script whatever it may be and for whatever reason you 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 can't you can't do that again in other scripts then i guess an agent would say yeah i'll take a shot on this and see if i get lucky because if I can sell it, then that's great, and maybe we can start a career from that. Um, but I don't want to commit to representing this person because I don't want to have you know 20 calls from this guy or this girl or this writing team on my phone sheet every every week asking, well, so what are you doing for us now? Right. Um, because I'm not really interested in furthering the career. I'm just it. I'm just being cautious about the approach. Now that can lead to permanent representation, and I'm sure it has. Um, but in my personal experience, and, and from what we do here at, he- at Heroes and Villains, we, we, I don't think, would do something where we take on just, we, we represent a writer for just one script. It sort of doesn't, doesn't gel with what we feel representation as a manager should be all about. Now, what about uh, as a production company, if a, a, a screenwriter brought you a script and you thought it was great for, you're, you were interested in it as a project, like, producing wise but you read other material of theirs and you didn't respond to it at all would you consider taking on a project as purely as producer certainly a possibility also also hasn't happened yet because <laughs> we are we are uh, mostly focused on creating our creating our own ip or mm-hmm. finding established ip out there uh, in form of articles books you know things that are things that are out there in the in the ether, and um, if we wanted to, if we wanted to create create a script, we would either go to come up with our own idea and and go to one of our own clients and see if they want to they want to develop something with us or go utilize writer relationships we have through, throughout the business. There's a million different ways to skin that cat. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not in a place right now where we would take on a script just only based on the script without strengthening the package because there's a piece of IP behind it or it comes with a great piece of talent attached or whatever it is. We really feel like in order to sell something, you have to stack the deck in your favor. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that comes with controlling intellectual property. Right. So um, that's sort of what our focus is at this point. Again, totally not saying that we would never. Right. Uh, it's just in our history of the last six and a half years or so um, that hasn't that hasn't happened. Right. Gotcha. 
Um, the next reader question is, is there a best time to query? So, I mean, are there certain times, days of the week, uh, or even months, like seasons, uh, award season or whatever, that might elicit the best response to a query? Or is it completely random? It is random. It really is. Um, the time when I don't respond, it's 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 really year round, and mm -hmm. there's no there's no good time or no no bad time. Uh, whenever it's convenient for you, really. Um, at the end of the day, it just ends up in my email inbox, and I read it when I get to it. Mm -hmm. So uh, time of day doesn't really matter. Um, there's times during the year if 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 you're if you're an aspiring television writer and you're querying me during staffing season, mm -hmm. um, then I'm probably a little bit less likely to look at it because I'm so busy trying to staff the writers that I already represent mm -hmm. that my mindset is just not in signing new TV writers right in the middle of staffing season. Right. Um, but outside of staffing season, there's really no bad time to send somebody a query. Cool. Um and uh, what was your first script sale ever? Uh, you know, I know you'd mentioned when you were an assistant at ICM uh, Hitch, but what was your first script sale ever, and what did you do to celebrate? Um, if you can remember it, <laughs> it's a it's a while ago. Yeah. Um, our first project that we ever uh, set up at a, at a studio was uh, a script that my client Jeff Ritchie wrote called Fall from Grace, mm -hmm. which we ended up setting up at Sony. And we, um, at the end of that day, when the deal closed, uh, bought a nice bottle of champagne and celebrated in the office. And um, then we took Jeff to a dinner, I think. Um, if not, we should have. And if we didn't, we owe you dinner, Jeff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but since then, we have installed um, actually a, a gift from another client of ours, uh, a what we call a victory bell that's engraved with heroes and villains that hangs in our office, mm -hmm. attached to the to, to the wall that that we ring if we close if and when we close a deal. So ah. um, that that's sort of like to let to let everybody on sort of on this on this floor know mm -hmm. <laughs> that um, we we just closed the deal. So nice. um, it's, it's 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 sort of like a fun thing to do as you walk out out into the into the hallway and just like ring the bell on your way out. Like we did another one. Nice. Nice. Um, where did the name heroes and villains come from? Heroes and villains, uh, involved coming up with, with a name involved a lot of drinking, a lot of fighting. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, but in all, in all seriousness, um, we wanted to be a writer in story based company where story comes first and the hero and the villain are just the most, to the two fundamental building blocks of any story. Without them, you don't really have drama. <clears throat> so it's not, it, it's not to say, oh, these guys only do like superhero stuff or whatever. It's, right. it's you need a hero and a villain in every story, no matter what it is. If it's TV, if it's a novel, if it's if it's a movie, if it's a comic book, there's always a hero and there's always a villain. And we wanted to sort of encapsulate that in the company name because that's what we felt the company the company needed to be about. Gotcha. Cool. Um... What are some of your favorite screenwriting resources? Uh, <clears throat> what um, I can recommend to writers to look into things that we have found really, really helpful and um, going both ways really is uh, the various writing fellowships ar around town, be it the ABC Writing Fellowship or um, 
<clears throat> or the Nickel Fellowship. That's that's a really good one, obviously. Um, and also the blacklist. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have great relationships with all these people running these running these uh, f- fellowships, and we feel like they produce great writers and really are helpful and bre- breaking writers and, and putting writers on, on 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 the map and helping them find representation and uh, break them through in the business. So uh, we feel those are really like some of the top resources that that we come in touch with and we and, and, and we deal with on an almost daily basis uh, that are really helpful. Cool. Um, and we have a section on the podcast that we call Rapid Fire. It's just three really quick random questions that I have to throw your way. Uh, first question, better song, Hero by Mariah Carey, Hero by Enrique Iglesias, or Hero by Chad Kroger? Um, I do like Hero by Chad Kroger, I must say, but I am quite fond of the one by 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 Mariah Carey as well. Yeah, you gotta commit. Pick one. Which which Chad Kroger? That? Damn it! There you go. Okay. <laughs> um, more compelling villain: Hannibal Lecter, Doctor Doom, or the T Rex in Jurassic Park? The T-Rex in Jurassic Park. <laughs> okay, nice. You threw me for a curveball there. Nice. Um, and who would win in a hot dog eating contest? You, Dick Hillenbrand, one of your partners, or Mikhail uh, Nayfield, your other uh, partner? I think Mikhail would win. Okay, and why? Um, because that guy has an appetite. <laughs> okay, good to know. Um, and do you have any sort of last thoughts or advice for aspiring screenwriters? I do. Um, and I think the biggest advice that I can give to aspiring screenwriters or any writers in, in any medium really is to, if the problem is you're not working professionally in whatever field that you're trying to break into, is to throw work at the problem and create your own material and get better as a writer and hone your craft and don't get discouraged by no's and keep at it because I feel if you if you um, continue to work, you're going to get continuously better and eventually you're going to break through. And another thing that I, I always say to people is know your brand. A lot of people out there will make the mistake of writing a horror movie and then writing a romantic comedy and then writing a comedy and then writing a drama and mm-hmm. then writing a coming of age story. And that is just very confusing to anybody in town because um, people just love to put writers on lists that are yeah. great at a certain thing. And if you do everything, you're not known for that one thing that you do well. Right. And so uh, I always cite as an example, J.J. Abrams or Kurtzman and Orsi, like you, you say these names and everybody knows what, what that is. And I feel even as an aspiring writer, you have to take the same approach where you have to decide what is my brand, who do, what do I want to be known for, what am I good at, mm-hmm. what, 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 what do I see myself writing for the next 10, 15, 20 years, what am I comfortable, um, what am I comfortable with uh, in terms of creating stories over and over and over again. That doesn't mean it needs to be so narrow as to say, oh, I only write creature feature horror movies. Right. You can branch out from that a little bit, but it's if you're a thriller writer, you can write 
dramas that have a thrilling aspect to it, or mm-hmm. you can write sci-fi thrillers, or you can write psychological thrillers, but if you're a thriller writer, be a thriller writer. Don't be a thriller, romantic comedy, coming-of-age writer. Right. Because there's no list that exists for that, and consequently, <laughs> you're not going to end, end up on it. And so that th- those are like the two biggest pieces of advice that I give to to people who are trying to break into the business, know what you're good at and keep doing that until you until you get recognized for it, and um, keep throwing work at work at the problem until until you get you get paid for it. No, that's great advice. Really great advice. Um, you can follow Marcus on Twitter at m gorg. That's G O E R G. So it's at M Gorg, G O E R G, and check out Heroes and Villains online at Heroes and Villains ENT for entertainment.com, Heroes and Villains ENT.com. And if you have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet to at scriptscribes. There's no and in the middle there, just at scriptscribes. Thanks for joining us today, Marcus. I greatly appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. And thanks for listening. <laughs>